Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. Shine within our hearts, loving Lord, with the true light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of your minds that we may comprehend the message of your word. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Joshua. I'll be reading from the 24th chapter, verses 1 through 3, and 14 through 25. Let us hear together this word of God to us. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahar, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led, led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Now therefore reveal the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord of our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you. After having done you good, and the people said to Joshua, No, we'll serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to people, Your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We're witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God will serve, and him will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them in Shechem. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament passage is from the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, verses three through 11. We're in the middle of Paul's theology. It is fairly dense. So let us listen carefully to the word of the Lord. Do you not know that all of us 
who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was a late November day. One of those days that the sun is shining, but the wind has that January iciness. A few minutes earlier, we had been in the funeral home where the man's daughter had read his Medal of Honor citation. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for bravery in the United States, and his daughter read it carefully. She read it word for word, and she read it well. He had been a private in World War II, in the War of the Pacific, which we called World War II. And he had been given a job, which was to carry a big radio on his back and jump out of an airplane with an intelligence officer. And they landed on an island like a Kinawa weeks before the reinvasion, the invasion. And their job was to go and find targets for airplane bombs and naval strikes and then radio them out. The third day they were there, the officer he was with was shot and was killed. And for three more weeks, he lived behind enemy lines since there were no lines. It was one island. And he went and carried that radio and he called in strikes and then he hunkered down and prayed. It's an amazing story and a sad one. He did this for three straight weeks before finally the Allies arrived and he was able to come out of the jungle, cold, hungry, scared. So we stood in Clinton Township at this tiny little cemetery and as he was being put in the ground, his coffin laid before us. Fort Knox had sent a general up, and that general overstood at attention as they folded the flag at the end of the service, and they handed it to his daughter. 
I gave a simple benediction about God's love and Christ's presence. And then a full contingent shot the 21-gun salute. And for a Medal of Honor winner, it is the entire 21 guns. And then a lone trumpet played taps. In some days, I can still hear the echo of that trumpet. You can hear that echo in your soul. Dr. Dow Edgerton spoke in his book about an exegesis of echoes. And Edgerton talks about how the echoes are something we can sometimes hear of the trumpet. And sometimes it's an echo of the kingdom of God. It is an echo in a world and that reminds us of a world before sin and evil. It might even be the echo of paradise, an echo that says there is a world beyond, that there is something beyond what we see, that there is more, that there is more, that there is God, a time when God is king, a time when God is here, and that the world will not be in able to impose its desires by invasion, by riots, by protest, by bullying, by a fist in an elevator. That echo reminds us there is more, that God is king and there was a time and there will be a time when love will be spoken, when light will shine in darkness and the darkness will not overtake it that there is a God, and God is here. And that echo lifts us, and we remember. Last Sunday, I was sitting up in the balcony with some teenagers during the 11 o'clock worship, and there was this moment that happened repeatedly through the service when that trumpet played, that I could hear trumpets, and it took me all the way back to that graveside. But when you hear that trumpet played in that joyful anthem, there's that echo of the holy, an echo of reminder that God is still God and that God is here and God is with us. And I was lifted up, maybe you were too, with that chill, that chill that reminds us of the holy, that echo of the holy. In the computer, I can follow my previous students, and one of my students is now a mother, and she does as most first-time mothers do. She posts way many pictures <laughs> of her daughter, of her father, of a husband bouncing that child, of them together, and those pictures go up. And I see that, and I have taken back to a sanctuary at Lakeshore Church, and I remember her kneeling in the front, in the chancel on a prayer rail at 16 years of age a decade ago. And I remember baptizing Heather. I remember baptizing her on the day that she professed faith, on the day of her confirmation. And I remember that very clearly, that chill I think of when I see those pictures of her raising her daughter and of my opportunity to baptize her with those holy words in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We get those chills in worship sometimes, 
Last Sunday was communion, and there's that moment I have when I hold the plate, and I do communion most of the time at 8 o'clock, and I remember so often I'm holding that plate, and I'm able to speak to someone I know and say, Jane, this is the body of Christ, and Jane smiles, and she takes it. And then last week, I'm up in the pews. I'm sitting where they are up there in the front. And Sue Jeffer, an elder, comes all the way up those stairs. And we walk and we stand in a much shorter line than you all enjoy. And I stood there before Sue. And Sue said to me, this is Christ's body. And I said, thanks be to God. And I ate. And there's that chill of baptism, that chill of the Holy Spirit, of communion. And if you listen, you can hear the trumpet. Paul writes... And this is from the message. This is what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a life-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we are going in our new grace, sovereign country. Now, our evangelical friends worry about our infant baptism here in our Presbyterian churches. They worry that that child is not old enough to say, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And our progressive worry as Presbyterians sometimes is what our evangelical brothers, when they do a believer baptism, we start to worry that the people might think that they earned grace, that they were somehow good enough to be forgiven. Both sides have a worry. Both sides have a worry. And yet, there is this presence in infant baptism, in a baptism of a small child. There's that moment when that powerful image before us of that action, of that metaphor, of that presence, that nothing this child has done deserves grace. That this child deserves grace only because And because of God's love, and frankly, when you look at the parents and you look at the clergy, we're all grinning because we are thrilled to do this. And then when Mel or Jay or Kristen walk that child down, do you ever see yourself smiling? It is the happiest this room is ever. And that child goes back, and when Fairfax gets all the way to the back, to the back row and bends that child down so it can look, he or she can look in the eyes, of you way in the back corner, and you have that moment when you realize you were part of this baptism. This baptism in a Presbyterian church is never a private act. It is something we do as a congregation. We do, all the way up in the balcony, all the way down in the back row, and even the ushers are leaning over to see if they can see the child. It is that moment when we know that this child is ours This baptism is a bridge into grace. We have baptized this youngest, and we can hear a trumpet. We can hear an echo of the kingdom of God. We can hear an echo of Jesus coming out of that water and the word of God saying, This is my beloved, son of whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so we take those baptismal vows seriously. And if you ever have an opportunity during this service 
to go upstairs, I'm not saying now, but if you have an opportunity to go upstairs, people say to me, where are all the children in church? Well, they're all upstairs. There's like 200 kids up there. Go up there and peek in the windows. That's, they're there, there's windows. And look in and you will see our youngest children learning about Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, experiencing the fellowship of a church that cares. And then later at coffee hour, maybe even today, some third grader is gonna come up to you and walk by you. Take a moment to bend over and listen to them say, ah, oh, you know what I did today? And it may not make any sense, <laughs> but your opportunity is to smile and let that child know we have moments we walk, there's little kids walking and you're, it's crowded down there. Take a moment to know that that child and your smile, that is a baptismal promise. That is an echo of the holy. Saw another picture on the computer of one of my other students from Lakeshore Church. He was standing in full military gear. He was holding a rifle of some sort that is attached to his body and he had a parachute on, and he was standing in an airplane, and the gate, I don't even know what it's called, I'm sorry, is all the way down, and you can see the clouds. And someone took this picture of him as he was finishing airborne school. And that picture was taken moments before he stepped out of that airplane. I did not get to baptize Drew, but I do remember many things about Drew. I remember uh, just him through 7th grade to 11th grade. Think of that. If you know that, what, what a change from a 7th grader to an 11th grader. I remember being with him, and I have great memories of him giving me grief about my Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and I'm giving it right back to him for his MSU. I remember him on summer camp. I remember him sharing laughter sharing joy, sharing our love of church and our love of Jesus. I remember with him Stitches, the emergency room of his best friend after he put his uh, elbow through that brand new window at Camp Howell. I remember standing with him many different places and worshiping with him in pews. But one of the strongest memories was at summer camp when a lot of people were finding Jesus for the first time. And this sixth grade girl came up to me and she said, my brother, can you come talk to my brother? He thinks he missed Jesus tonight, and he wants to know what you're talking about. So I grabbed Drew, who was a 10th uh, grader at the time, and we went over in that little ugly little room in, Nate, in Howell, and we sat down with that kid, and we told this young boy, this 5th grader, why Jesus loves him and why God matters. And I remember Drew as a 10th grader saying in his rough and tumble voice something about why he follows Jesus Christ. And then the four of us prayed together and that kid did what the evangelical brothers and sisters hope. He professed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you listen, you can hear the echo of the trumpet. Drew on an airplane Heather baptized at confirmation, now the mother of the next generation. A cold graveside, a general at attention, a flag on a daughter's lap. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin 
once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. If we listen, we can hear the trumpet's echo, the echo of baptism, the echo of communion, the echo of the kingdom of God, the echo of our future. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray together as God's people. Who is like you, God? Who is like you to baptize us into life and to extend your love to us all the way to death and beyond? Help us, O God, to remember to choose you and to choose life in the midst of so much death and destruction, so much chaos and grief and misery. Help us to choose you. For you could have kept life for yourself, but you gave it to us as a gift. You poured light into the shadows of chaos. You lifted the curtain on the darkness. You pulled back the veil so that there might be hope. You planted seeds so that we might harvest crops in these days that would feed us and feed all the world. You shaped companions to walk this journey with us. You freely give gifts for all so that all might know your love and all might reflect your loving image across the world. But from old we choose over and over again to trust in death and sin, believe their temptations are of more value than your unseen hope. Prophets, leaders like Joshua have come along. Sisters and brothers like Jesus have come to show us your ways. And the Apostle Paul has pointed us path death to hope. But we consider them often to be a troop of troublemakers. We chase them away. We disparage them. We run them out to the edges. But finally Jesus came. And we praise you, steadfast God, that your presence never abandons us. But your presence walks with us side by side and day in and day out. There is no corner of this life not claimed by your grace. There is no place where your hope does not echo. So we praise you, teller of stories and parables. We praise you, preacher and teacher. Your words challenge us in moments of doubt as well as instances of faith. When we run around in circles and chase our worries and fears, you reach out to us and show us the path to hope. So Lord, Lord of all our lives in this world, when we read casually of disasters and tragedies afar, how often do we listen indifferently? But help us focus, O oh God, on your gifts to us and remind us that your church is connected throughout this world to people of care and love and concern who push past the chaos to reach out and to bring hope and healing. Tie us to them, enable us to love them and to know them. Oh God, on this day there is so much more, but we offer these our gifts, our prayers. We offer our lives to you in the fashion of Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say boldly, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.